This is Pastor Landon Davis. Thank you for joining our podcast. We're going to continue the Bible study on Luke chapter 4 today. So we're working through the book of Luke first, and we'll eventually continue through the New Testament. We'll be reading from the World English Bible. It starts, verse number 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing in those days. Afterwards, when they were completed, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. The devil, leading him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I will give you all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I want. If you therefore will worship before me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and you shall serve him only. He led him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, cast yourself down from here, for it is written, He will put his angels in charge of you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest perhaps you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answering said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. When the devil had completed every temptation, he departed from him until another time. We end in chapter 3 of the book of Luke with the baptism of Jesus. And Luke specified that when the Spirit came down upon Jesus and the voice spoke, that Jesus was in the water praying. And subsequent to this, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted. And it's worth noting that Jesus was praying before he was tempted by Satan. It's important we be a person of prayer because Jesus would later tell his disciples to watch and pray so that they wouldn't fall into temptation due to the weaknesses of their flesh. When Satan came to tempt Jesus, he used the same traps that he's used to ensnare men since the creation of the world. He he entraps us by appealing to our weaknesses. And so the Bible describes the things that lead to sin as the lust of of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. One study Bible I read uh, described the lust of the flesh as our natural appetites or desires, the lust of the eyes as visual enticement, and then the pride of life as personal ambition. And I think that's a pretty good summary of what the scripture is speaking of here. And so let's compare the temptation of Jesus with the uh, temptation, the original temptation in sin, because there's a pattern in how the enemy works. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it states that Eve saw that the tree was good for fruit, for food. Of course, that would be a natural desire, the lust of the flesh, that it was pleasant to the eyes, that would be the lust of the, of the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. And so then there is the appeal to the pride of life. When we look at the temptation of Christ, we find he's been fasting for 40 days, and Luke took the time to point out the obvious that Jesus was hungry. And Satan came to him and tempted him to turn stones to bread. Of course, that would be the lust of his flesh, his appetite. He would be craving a meal. 
but Jesus resisted that temptation. And so the devil showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and offered to give him the glory as he beheld all that the empires of man, uh, all the, the glory associated with all that man had accomplished. Well, Jesus was actually seeing this. He showed it to him in, in some way. And so this was the lust of the eyes. And then finally, when that didn't work, he challenged him and said, well, if you're really the son of God, you'll be able to prove it. Throw yourself down. And like the scripture says, uh, the, the angels of the Lord are encamped about and, and you're going to be caught so that you don't hurt yourself and uh, prove you are who you are. Prove, prove that you're the one that you're, that you're supposed to be. And this is a challenge, but it's, it's also appealing to the pride of life, trying to get Jesus to respond. And so we see these temptations, and if you'll consider the temptations in your life and the times when your weaknesses have gotten the best of you, they're going to fall under one of these things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. It's important that we not be ignorant of the devil's devices, the traps that he sets. There's also another common element that we can see when we compare the original uh, temptation and sin with the temptation of Christ, and that's that the enemy twists the word of God. The serpent questioned Eve and, and actually even misquoted what the Lord had said. He said, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? So there's not only a misquotation, but also a question mark. Can we trust what's been said? And we see a similar misuse of the scripture when Christ is being tempted and he quotes from Psalms 91. It's interesting that he stopped at verse number 12 because he partially quotes this. And, you know, a half-truth is, a, is uh, a full lie, and this is a half-truth because he's taking one, it's, it's misapplied because he's taking it out of context. But secondly, he doesn't finish, and I, I don't know that it's a coincidence because he stops at verse 12, verse 13, that Satan didn't quote to Jesus, promises that if someone will just continue to trust in the Lord, the Lord's going to deliver them and give them power to tread on the serpent, the lion, and the dragon. And of course, all these uh, descriptions were uh, descriptions of Satan in the scripture, that he came as a serpent, as a roaring lion, and then in Revelation we see him as a dragon. Uh, Christ responded to each of these temptations by quoting the scripture. Verse 13 states that Satan completed every temptation. He had used all the, the weapons that he had and none were effective, so he departed. Of course, he, he intended to come back, and if you've ever overcome temptation, thank the Lord for it, but you'll have another battle. The war's not over just yet. We'll have final victory, but our enemy does not give up easy, and uh, so he was waiting for a more convenient season, for another time when he could catch Jesus when he thought in a moment of weakness and could possibly uh, lead him into sin. If you struggle with temptation, uh, Christ showed us that if we resist the devil, the devil will flee from us. Uh, 
Christ outlasted Satan. He tempted and tempted and tempted, and finally he said, this isn't working, and he left. How did Christ do it? Well, we noticed that he was praying. He was fasting. He knew the word well enough that he could quote it. And then verse 1, when we first picked up and started reading, specified that Christ was filled with the Spirit when he went into the wilderness to be tempted. And that's the recipe for victory. Pray fast, uh, read, know, quote your word, and then be sure that you're filled and led by the Spirit of God. Let's pick up in verse 14 here. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and news about him spread through all the surrounding area. He taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. He entered, as was his custom, into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to deliver those who are crushed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began to tell them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. After withstanding Satan and coming forth victorious, Jesus begins to minister in the power of the Spirit. And his custom was to attend the synagogue on Sabbath. And if you'll just allow me, I can't help but pastor just a little bit here. Be like Jesus, be faithful to church, and when you're there, participate. That was Jesus' custom. So he took the scroll and he read of the anointing to preach and the anointing to heal and to give freedom and to give sight and to give deliverance and and to declare the acceptable year of the Lord, which is an expression or euphemism for the time of God's favor. And something about the way that he read this familiar text captivated the people because it said the eyes of all in the synagogue were fastened on him. And then when he had all of their attention, he said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, remember the prophet Isaiah prophesied very specifically about the coming king, the coming Messiah, and how he would restore Israel. And so this passage that Jesus is reading from is a promise of restoration. And so the natural question would be, is Jesus the Messiah? At first, um, they wondered at the things he said. Let's read with verse, starting with verse 22 through 27. All testified about him and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, isn't this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless, you will tell me this parable, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done at Capernaum, do also here in your hometown. He said, most certainly, I tell you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But truly, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land. Elijah was sent to none of them except to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. 
There were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. And so what happened here, and I'm sure you noticed the change in my tone because I, I wanted to point out a transition. At first, Jesus is speaking and something about the way he reads the scripture and the authority he has. And then he tells them that it's been fulfilled and, and they are in amazement and wonder and they can't help but testify about him. They begin to tell each other, did, did you just see that? How gracious that was and what a way that he was able to speak. It's the power of the anointing was on him like he had told them. But then we see the doubts come in because then they're like, but wait, wasn't, wasn't that Joseph's son? The carpenter? Isn't that the carpenter's son? And so they testified, but then what should have built their faith, they kind of came to themselves and settled in to doubts. And so Jesus knew that he was going to be rejected in his hometown. And, and in fact, it, it applied to more than just Nazareth. Eventually, he would be rejected by most of his people. And he illustrated this point by reminding them of the times when some of their most prominent prophets had performed great miracles, but they performed those miracles for Gentiles that believed instead of among the people of God. And so after Jesus says this, it enrages them. They, they, they feel that he's judging or chastising them. And so verse 28 says, they were all filled with wrath in the synagogue as they heard these things. They rose up, threw him out of the city, led him to the brow of the hill that their city was built on, that they might throw him off the cliff. But he, passing through the middle of them, went his way. Remember when Satan had tried to convince Jesus, the final temptation, Satan had tried to convince Jesus to prove himself and to force God's hand by throwing himself down uh, and, and uh, from great heights and see if the Lord would deliver him from falling like the scripture said. And Jesus refused. Now, this is the very next event that transpires after that. Immediately following that temptation, when the crowd had physically taken Jesus, pulled him out of the city, took him all the way up to the top of the hill, and was going to throw him off a cliff to his death, somehow, and the Bible is it just it doesn't even bother to give us the details, but it just lets us know that right as they want to throw him off the cliff, he was delivered from falling and passed right through the crowd. And so the lesson here is we aren't to put God to the test. We're simply to trust God. And then when the test comes to us, we're going to see the deliverance of God. Verse 31, he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, he was teaching them on the Sabbath day, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. In the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Ah, oh, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. When the demon had thrown him down in the middle of them, he came out of him, having done him no harm. 
amazement came on all, and they spoke together one with another, saying, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. News about him went out into every place of the surrounding region. He rose up from the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was afflicted with a great fever, and they begged him for her. He stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. Immediately she rose up and served them. When the sun was setting, all those who had any sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. Rebuking them, he didn't allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. And so Jesus left Galilee or he left Nazareth, I'm sorry, and uh, he left for Galilee, and immediately his words to the people of Nazareth uh, were fulfilled. They came to pass in Capernaum. Uh, he, he left his hometown, he got to Capernaum, and then he, he hadn't been able to perform the great deeds in his hometown. Uh, they He told him, you're going to ask that I would come do for you what I've done other places. But they had that element of doubt. Here he arrives and he immediately begins to perform mighty works. He cast out a demon. He heals Simon's mother-in-law. And then the word of that begins to spread. And by that evening, every sick person in town and everyone that was possessed by demons had been brought to him. And it said he laid hands on every one of them and every single one of them was healed or delivered. Delivered. Now, another point that's worth noticing here was when Jesus was casting out the demons, they wanted to reveal his identity. And we're going to discuss this uh, in a future study. So I don't want to get into de- in depth with that right now, but I do think it's worth noting that Jesus did not allow them to reveal his identity to the masses. He, he wasn't yet openly identifying himself. Verse number 42, when it was day, he departed and went into an uninhabited place. And the multitudes looked for him and came to him and held on to him so that he wouldn't go away from them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of God's kingdom to the other cities also. For this reason, I have been sent. He was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Now, notice they, after he had healed them and they had had this time together, he departs to an uninhabited place and they come looking for him. They find him. They hold on to him. They beg him, please stay here. They did everything they could do, but they could not convince him. It's very important that we find what our purpose and what the will of God is in our lives. If Satan can't hinder us, Sometimes good-intentioned people might be able to. Uh, Personal relationships have kept many people from ever taking a step of faith. Uh, But Jesus, he said, I must preach in other cities. It wasn't even an option. He said, this is the reason I've been sent. This is my very reason. I know my purpose and my place in, in the will of God. And it's important that all of us 
find that. So let's pray together and ask that the Lord would help us. If you're struggling with temptation, uh, when we pray, I want you to believe that the Lord is going to deliver you. Uh, if you need the Lord to do great things for you, we, in this just this one chapter, we read of his miraculous power. And, and then, of course, if you're trying to find the will of God, there's great comfort in knowing that you're right in the plan of God. And so we want to pray that nothing would hinder you from fulfilling all that God has for you. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you, Jesus. I thank you so much for your word. I hope that you would and pray and believe that you will help us to have understanding and to apply it to our life. I pray for any brother or sister that's struggling with temptation. I ask you, Lord, that you would make a way of escape for them. I pray that they would uh, begin to practice spiritual disciplines, that they would lean on your word, that they would pray and fast, that you would fill them with the Spirit. I pray for great revival to come to our country, uh, to come to every individual in my church, and for everyone that will listen to this podcast. We need your help. Help us to withstand the enemy. Help us, Lord, to minister in power. I pray that you would give us grace in our words. Help us to testify of your great deeds. I pray that you would build faith inside every one of us. And I ask your Lord that we could each find your will and that we would commit to doing that and performing that. I pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you. Join me again tomorrow for the next chapter in the book of Luke.